It's episode 66 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp, who is, he's got kind of a, a tight schedule here, right? What do you got going on? Yes, very tight. I'm going to Green Bay, so my so, only game of the year, I think. Green Bay? The Packers, Steve. Oh, okay. The Packers. So you're saying you want to get this going? We shouldn't do a lot of preamble? A lot of preamble, just... a lot of a pre-chatter that we normally do. You don't talk like... about you know history and whatever. Yeah. Hey, JP, how did Notre Dame do yesterday? Uh, it was like one of those games in which everybody said Florida State was terrible, and you're like, how bad can Florida State be? Like, they're Florida State. They're, it, so I was like really nervous, and then the game started, and uh, Notre Dame was winning like 35 to 6, and I was like, Right, yeah, no, Florida State is actually really bad. The garbage. So it ended up being okay. Nice. Any other uh, things going on around you? I I was just wondering if we could like come up with some other political chat that we needed to like cover <laughs> before we ended up getting into anything. Baseball. I don't know. Has anything happened recently? I don't, I don't there know. Were a few like, things. How, there were a few things. How many things could we talk about before Ryan like actually started having steam come out of his ears and start <laughs> trying to like read the ads? Okay. Yeah. What well, what what do you got there? A double IPA. Thanks, Steve. Nice. Yep. Um, I figured, hey, have a beer before you get on the road. Anyways, uh, you can help fans find the pack podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Ford Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. November 15th, they released their pilot beer, Bahid's Gallus. Gallus? What do you think? I'm, I'm not, not good. Even, I'm not it's, on that screen. It's a Scottish ale with coffee, so that's a collaboration with uh, just coffee.coop. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. Check that one out. That's like I said. That's a pilot release. You got to go to the brewery for that one. On the 21st, they re-release Raspberry Fantasy Factory IPA. So that's just in time to serve with your Thanksgiving dinner. What do you think about that Raspberry IPA with your cranberries and? That actually sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd do that. I I'll recommend that. it, yeah. So yeah. That, that'll be in, in bottles, so you can check that one out. Um, oh, it's being bottled? Again. That one has been bottled in the past. Oh, that I never caught that one before. Okay. It wasn't the strawberry one we had. That one you had to go to the brewery for. So, um, And then also uh, for Black Friday, they're going to release the Zero IBU Fantasy Factory. There aren't any details on this one. They said you got to show up if you want to find out what this one's all about. Zero IBUs and it's Fantasy Factory? I th that's how I'm reading it. I mean, Fantasy Factory is not a hugely high IBU IPA to start with. It's not like a big time IBU. Sure. But it's, they're still. It's an IPA. So, I mean, there's, there's a certain a, amount of hops in it. There's so a this, certain amount of hops. This will be interesting. Um, so yeah, go. Yeah, that's a Black Friday uh, beer. So you got to go to the brewery on Black Friday. Probably stand in line for it to enjoy it. And I'm gonna be in Lacrosse. It won't be happening. You could drive down and drive back. It's <laughs> yes, not that far. That's what I want to do. Take the train. <laughs> I've there, done that. Wasn't there supposed I've to be a train? I've done that for. Oh. Uh, oh yeah, there was. No, I took Amtrak <laughs> once for uh, exactly for Thanksgiving because I was still working and Amy went a couple days early and. Uh, yeah, it, it was a really weird thing. That was bizarre. To take a train? 
just being on Amtrak for like essentially a commute, like a hour and 20 minutes or whatever. It's kind of weird. Yeah. So anyways, that has nothing to do with the beer that's coming out on Black Friday. So check out the Zero IBU Fantasy Factory. Um, and then also, don't forget the promo code MKE Tailgate in the Carbon 4 web store. You'll receive 20% off your order if you use that. Um, so visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or find their beer at your local retailer. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so Ryan did most of the rundown, so this is all going to be a surprise to me. Oh, fantastic. You didn't even look at it? No. <laughs> just like just like I don't listen to the podcast afterwards either. So that that does have to be the title of the podcast this week is Steve doesn't listen. <laughs> I already heard all of it. So. I, I download. Way to go. Way to way to boost the numbers by one download. I've been trying to encourage Amy to also download so we would boost it by two. Nice. Yeah. She doesn't listen? I don't believe so. I mean, she listens to the minor league extra because she has generally been the one who's been producing it. So nice. when she does the editing, she hears it. Yeah. She listens to you guys enough. She doesn't need to listen to you guys again. Yeah. If I were her, I would never like contain it around my head and with like headphones and listen to it. If I were her, what, that would just be, that would what? be torture. Oh. That would be absolute torture. So anyways, Hey, it's awards week. Are we excited? Yay. So they do like big unveilings on what the MLB network for all this mm-hmm. stuff. They put, yeah. they put out their list of uh, potential awards winners. Yeah, they already did that last week. Yeah, that's all out. The so, finalists are already out. So on Tuesday, we have the uh, NL uh, Manager of the Year Awards. So it's uh, Craig Council or Snitker. 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 Or, Brian Snitker. <laughs> or, or is it Bud Black out in Colorado? Yeah, it's going to be Craig Council. I mean, I, I suppose it could be. Uh, Snicker in in Atlanta, but like I, I would have a hard time with that. I it's I council council was the at the forefront of doing something new and different with his team, and in in terms of management and and doing stuff like that, Snicker didn't do anything remarkable in that way. Well, they and would point to him and say he had a young team. He did have a young team. And so, and they were better than expected, though a big part of why they were better than expected is there was shit elsewhere in the NL East. Like, what else was there in the NL East? So, right. But you could also point to the fact that the Brewers were actually uh, one game short of the wild card last year. So, the fact that the Brewers were good again perhaps is not. I, I think to us, we were surprised how they were good. We were like in the ways in which they were good. We were surprised by certain players. We were surprised by the fact that some guys didn't take steps back. Right. Like we were surprised by a lot of things. So I think we're really close to the point in which we can see a lot of the things that council was doing. But in terms of a national perspective, I think there's something to be said for voters who would be like, yeah, well, the Brewers were a game back and they were able to take a couple steps forward this year. And they made, you know, they won the NL Central and that's surprising. But the Braves were bad in 2017 and then ended up being a, a genuinely good team. Sure. Right? 
I mean, there's that, but it's still this award is such a farce anyway because it literally all the manager. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm glad we're spending time on it then. All the manager of the year award is is which team outperformed expectations by the most, and that's literally. And then they go, it must be the manager here have an award. So if you want to make the case for council, the fact that the Brewers are able to win the NL Central is a big boost to him because there, nobody, even if folks thought coming into the season that they could be a wild card team nobody thought they were challenging the cubs for the top no they were a 96 win team 97 if you count 163 in the best division in the national league like i don't think that's controversial to say that the the central ended up being the best division in the, the uh, league yeah i'm just saying though to take that that step from just missing the wild card to then winning the division like that that's where you can say council made a big leap with the team. I think the best case if you want to make an actual case for it is that Craig Council was doing intriguing interesting things in terms of managing his team and he managed to I mean you had him juggling uh the lineup, you had him juggling the bullpen, you had him juggling the rotation in such a way that most managers it, he was very active in terms of what he did and a lot of it worked well. So that would be the case I would make. Not this, he outperformed expectations more than Brian Snicker stuff. JP, what was the most outside-the-box thing that Council did this year? Because, again, we were close to it, and we kind of saw it happening all season long. But, you know, aside from haters, uh, you know, multiple inning usage, was there anything that was, like, exceptional or exceptionally different that, that Council did this season that other managers wouldn't do in that situation? Well, before that point, I, I am putting forth an official motion that we have team surveys about uh, their satisfaction. So team satisfaction surveys with their uh, their manager, and then we can find out which players like their manager the best. And then that certainly, if I've learned anything by working in corporate America, that is like the way to tell if people are actually happy with an employee. Double blind it. Double blind that. You've already you've already said shit once. Like, don't <laughs> I don't understand? Yeah, I don't know why I held off on that one. But Steve's over here uh, smirking at me for it. But well, I think he's annoyed by my suggestion. Um, so there is another. I don't necessarily think there's anything particularly revolutionary that council did. I think everything that he did, we've talked about. Um, we've wondered about, you know, can you have extreme shifting uh, throughout the course of the season? Can you be extremely versatile in terms of the the personnel that you put out? Can you rely on your bullpen a little bit more? Can you go multiple innings with guys? Can you leverage a bullpen ace? Like we already had that language coming into this season. So that's not necessarily new. I think what is, if you want to say something is revolutionary about what council did is he was willing to uh, implement a lot of it at the same time. And he was willing to stick with it even when things weren't necessarily going as well. And he was able to communicate things in a very effective way to both the media and the team. And so again, winning solves a lot of issues. You have guys that are willing to go along with unorthodox things in the bullpen. Uh, you have, guys like Chase Anderson who are probably more willing to sit on the sidelines in the playoffs because they're going to the NLCS. Um, but I will say that council has done a really good job of being consistent. And I think, and this is my own outside perspective, thinking being able to stress to absolutely everybody, even if they're not on the roster at that particular moment, the organization is going to need you. So be ready in triple a do like Domingo Santana was able to come up and even though he hadn't been up with the team for a long period of time, which we were saying was a pretty damning assessment 
in terms of like the organization's opinion of him, council was willing to absolutely put him in key spots and rely on him in September. Sure. Uh, yes, absolutely. There's, I mean, you look at like how Keon Broxton was kept in the fold throughout the season. That's a, you know, another valid point to support that. Yeah, they definitely, council made, council used every piece of this roster. Right. And it really was throughout the season too. I mean, just from the first day of the season when they had uh, G-Man Choi up and they literally made a change after the first game of the season, it was that that we could probably look at that as like the guy who just got what was it the game winning RBI in, in the first game of the season yes gets sent out after that happened i mean that council was able to keep that because that isn't his decision entirely maybe not even mostly it's probably mostly the front office but the fact that he was able to keep all of that on the rails while being that active and being that uh you know flexible with the roster that is something that's yeah. a huge something so should we have like a you know should we like burn down twitter if council doesn't win this on uh, tuesday yes i'm all for twitter burn downs what do you think jp or does it how invested should we be in this oh not yeah i figured that was going to be the answer it'll be fun i i think council should probably win it you know obviously we're homers about that but I'm already putting in my draft Snitker, LOL, and that I'll just be ready to hit send at yeah. 5 o'clock on uh, Tuesday or whatever. So it'll be fun. Hopefully he gets it, um, and I think it'll be worthwhile if he does. If we're talking about awards, can we give uh, Sophia Minert uh, a shout-out for winning an Emmy? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I just saw that yesterday. Yeah, yeah, what was the category, too? It was like something – It was the way it was worded was weird. I was like, what does that even mean? But apparently it was for one of her specials she did. Yeah, it's what it, that's what it sounded like. So, you know, I think that we've talked about this again and again with like Euchre, Brian Anderson. I think Sophia Minnert in the way that she's obviously able to handle a lot of bilingual interviews and be able to do it seamlessly. I think that, again, we've seen that the Brewers are able to, you know, whether it's even Matt LaPay stepping in and obviously, you know, with the Brewer, or with, with the Brewers and the Badgers connection, a lot of people are already familiar with him, but the Brewers have had a string of, really great broadcast teams and i think sophia minard is actually somebody that has been uh, a really big addition to it um and her ability to connect with with the spanish-speaking teams or spanish-speaking players on the team has been uh excellent and i applaud her for not being afraid to actually do that translation on air too and not just like behind the scenes and written stuff mm -hmm. that just kind of actually include them in post-game interviews and try to help out i think it's been really great yeah, and I think that allowed her to go down to I think it's the Dominican. They she went down to the to their uh, facility down there. Yeah, to do their half stuff. hour special. So I mean, it's good to see that. And again, I think that especially that position, you need somebody who's bilingual. So it's really good to see that they have somebody that can fill that role so well, and you know, do the stories. I think that shed a little bit more light on the entire team as opposed to having to be laser focused on like half the team because you know that's who you can do a, a an in-depth interview with you know she can basically hit everybody in the in the clubhouse without an issue yeah absolutely and i think if you're trying to create a team culture and you're trying to make sure that all of these people you know that are moving from the dominican to a place like milwaukee and it's up in the north and it's cold and they always talk about how do you adjust to the culture i think making sure that they're involved in you know, interviews and being a part of the team and, and they're not just being kind of shunted along why everybody else is always in front of the camera that everybody has an opportunity to do it. 
Okay, so yes, congratulations to uh, Sophia on that one. And then Thursday, we have the NL MVP. And this one, I think, if it doesn't go the Brewers' way, people are going to be pissed. Because it's uh, Yelich, uh, Javi Baez, and Nolan Arenado um, are the three finalists for that. And I think everybody, especially with the way the season ended, voting ended at the end of the season. So, you know, if people were less impressed by uh, Yelich's postseason numbers, that doesn't even factor in. So I think everybody's looking forward to Christian Yelich winning that MVP award on Thursday. I mean, the only people that you could make a case, and JP made this well, you know, a month or two ago, whenever we were talking about it, you could make a case for the pitchers. You could make a case for Scherzer and especially DeGrom as the NL MVP but they're not one of the finalists. So none of the players who are listed as the finalist had anything like the season Christian Yelich had. So yeah, there's no reason that Christian Yelich shouldn't win out of that group of players. It would be, it would be farcical if one of the other two won. I, I think it would be really interesting to watch um, national media have to defend themselves in terms of like why they pick somebody other than Christian Yelich. But uh, I think it's pretty clear. And the fact that I know that like announcers like Joe Buck don't have inside info on everything, but the fact that even the announcers in the NLDS and NLCS consistently called him, you know, the NL MVP or like the likely NL MVP, I think is pretty well locked on that. Everybody knows he's going to win it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at just some basic stats and look at who the best players in the NL were, there's really not an argument for anybody other than Yelich. If you look at, um, like, a lot of a lot of attention got placed on uh, on whether or not somebody was a exciting base runner. That whole thing. Well, Yelich was a better base runner than Javier Baez by any measure. I mean, he added more value on the bases than Baez did. Nolan Arenado isn't actually that great a hitter outside of Coors Field. I was going to say, with the three guys, is Arenado really even in this discussion? He just seems like the third guy. He's and a, Arenado's had great seasons, but this wasn't one of his better seasons. Anthony Rendon was the second best player in the NL by most war metrics. So, like, Anthony Rendon should be in this discussion isn't because, well, one, nobody knows who Anthony Rendon is, which is eternally weird and amusing, but also because... You know, he, he's been overshadowed on his own team. He's always had to play second or third or fourth fiddle on the Nationals. So he isn't even well known. But you have, you know, and they also weren't contending this year, which always, that still hurts. And it's it dumb, does. but it still hurts. Yeah. So it, it looks like it's going to be Yelich on Thursday. So that should be fun. Uh, how do you think Yelich's season stacks up to like Ryan Braun's 2011 season, JP? I don't know. I guess I haven't necessarily thought about it too much. Um, it, I mean, off the top of my head, I would say that Yelich is, is probably better. Um, but I, I don't have the stats up to look at that. That would just be a gut feeling. Yeah, I, it isn't. It's. Uh, I looked at this at one point. Well, I, I think Braun was just shy of an a a thousand OPS player that season. I think Yelich was right on it this year, and Yelich obviously is probably a better defensive player than Braun's ever been. So, I, I mean, it's it's interesting to think of what what our previous you know MVP was. There's something to be said for just Braun as a peak offensive player. I mean, what do you think about Yelich stacking up against that? Like, because Ryan Braun, you mm -hmm. think back to twenty, you know. 10, 11, 12 was one of the premier offensive players in the NL. 
Yeah, he was. And I'm looking back at it right now, and he hit 332 with 33 homers and 33 stolen bases. And yeah, he was dreadful defensively, but over the course of the entire season, offensively, he was he was absolutely tremendous. Um, but there is to there is something to be said about how that actually transitions over in terms of like what the run environment was then, because it's not actually that far off in terms of what he was able to do because Ryan Braun had a, had a 171 uh, weighted runs created, which means he was 71% better than the league average hitter. Uh, Kristen Yelich was 166 uh, right now this past year. So he's 66. So it's pretty close. Um, They're they're, Stat line is almost extremely similar across the line. I Ryan Braun stole a few more bases, but there was more base stealing in 2011. And I think Yelich was a better defensive player. So I think it's kind of six one half a dozen the other. I think Yelich still feels like it's he's a little bit more valuable just because the Brewers inter- like their starting staff relied so much on the outfield defense to be stellar to be able to to deal with the fact that they gave up so many fly balls. I think maybe pushes it over, but that's really splitting hairs. Yeah, I didn't realize that Yelich had closed that hard to 166 WRC plus. Last time I looked at this was sometime in the season, and he was in the 150s. Well, I mean, and all of his numbers with the way he charged at the end of the season, you know, uh, turned it into made him very competitive to what that Braun line had been in 2011. Because before that, Yelich was having a good season, and then he really took off, and you saw those numbers shoot up. It wasn't kind of like he set a standard and went through the whole season. So, um, yeah, it's been fun to watch, and it should be interesting to see uh, what happens on Thursday. But if it's not Yelich, it's going to be a shock, I think, to everybody. Before we go on, I didn't mention this on the rundown, but can we complain a little bit about Lorenzo Cain getting Ender Inciarte'd out of the gold glove? Which, did you I mean, realize, before, Carlos Gomez did win the gold glove in center field in 2013. Mm-hmm. But before that, you know how far you have to go back before you find a Brewer's gold glove? I don't know, did Yount get it in like 82? It was Yount in 82 at shortstop, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to go back that far. It's absolutely absurd that they just never, and they've had good defensive players, not always. I was going to say, who was the, a great defensive player they had in that time? I mean, Carlos Gomez in the center field in other years besides that should have, you know, but he won it in 2013 because he finally had his big offensive breakout, you know? Sure. It coincided with he happened to have the big offensive season in 2013, so he got his gold glove back. I don't know. JP, do you have any opinions on Enciarte? I think he's a very good player, and I enjoyed having him on every single one of my fantasy teams. <laughs> I mean, and Enciarte, to be fair, was a fine defensive center fielder he wasn't by the metrics that i looked at he wasn't as good as I, he's uh, a little bit more of a thrower than kane is because kane's not really going to gun anybody down yeah so maybe that got the attention i don't know but and it, it is those are the, it was also those are the also a case plays. of in crt this is his third win and like gold gloves are very that way where guys get them forever even when they're not like rafael palmero remember when he got one when he was like a dh for like three quarters of the season he played like 25 games at first base and he got a gold glove sure i think what this is a bigger case of and obviously there's no way to prove this but what it feels like is lorenzo kane just got overshadowed by yelich no yeah i think that's very much part of the reason but i mean he made so many great plays and it was this was noticed on mlb network because or not mlb network it was Carl Ravitch laughed when he announced it. So, like, he chuckled. 
I flipped over from the did Packer he chortle? game. He, he, he chortled a little bit. Yeah, did he, he did because he, he said Lorenzo Cain just can't seem to win one of these no matter what he does. First, he, he gets overlooked all these times in the AL, and now he gets overlooked in the NL too. And he kind of laughed and was like, he just can't do anything to, to win this Does Cain one. not have one? Kane has never won a gold glove. Yeah, that's it is. That's insane. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's just it's there's no good reason for it. And I mean, I think it's because he plays he's played his entire career in small markets, like not just small markets, but the smallest of markets. I think I think part of what Kane is really dealing with is is the Mike Cameron curse of not actually making that many phenomenal diving catches because he just gets to everything. He doesn't like if you're looking for people who want to be able to look at him and see how good of a catch he is, you have to rely on the fact that either A, see one of his home run saving catches, which have all been great, but the vast majority, how often does he dive? I mean, yeah. his first step and, and the way that he reads everything is so great. His closing speed is so good that he covers so much space and makes it genuinely look easy, even catches that are not easy whatsoever and NCRT and guys like that are going to be able to make many more flashy catches that I think maybe make them stand out a little bit more yeah I mean there were times where you'd look out at Kane you know there'd be a righty up to bat or something like that and he's playing in like right field well I was watching and covering the gap game two of the the NLCS is a perfect example of this when he took back that home run in the first inning Mm -hmm. and me and my dad were just laughing at it and we're saying that looked so easy and you're going, no, he had to you know, run over into the gap and make a leap a good two feet above the wall. and like, But he just made it look like, eh, eh whatever, I'm going to just catch That's a what ball. what you do. And like, he made it look so easy that it was, it, it, he just looks incredible, like JP's saying. It, yeah, it is probably the Mike Cameron curse. And nobody ever gave Mike Cameron the credit he deserved either. So, I, Does anyone take the gold glove seriously? I mean, that's one when, hey, you know, someone who totally deserves a gold glove didn't get it. Everybody's kind of shrugs and goes, yeah, that's the way it goes. Sure. It, it's just that kind of a word. So I don't think it's one that we should get too up in arms about. He deserves it, but I don't think he's worrying too much about it. So anyways, uh, we have a bit of an offseason uh, preview going on here. Um, I guess, Ryan, you wrote this down. What do you want to talk about? Where does this team stand as it is with no major changes? Yeah, like basically what is the – where are they if they were to just go into next year? Obviously, they won't do this. They'll make changes. But where does this team stand in relation to, the, I guess, the rest of the division? Well, I know, and there are a lot of questions of, oh, we have a bunch of guys here. We have a bunch of guys possibly in the rotation or wherever on the field. How do they trade them for you know a better player? Like that seems to be a lot of the questions we're getting at the moment. Mm-hmm. And there's a focus on adding – you know, top line starting pitching again, like there has been forever. But JP, have they shown that's even a route that they want to go trading major league talent? Because a lot of what they did this season was based on having depth. And if you start trading guys out of your rotation, because you have six or seven guys that you feel comfortable eventually putting in there, do you think they want to take that step? Well, I think with the VR trade, they showed the ways and the way in which they might do that. Right. They might trade a piece that they have for a piece that they feel like is an upgrade. So trading somebody, they might trade a pitcher and pair and pair with, you know, I don't know, a prospect or two. I don't necessarily know who, obviously, for an upgraded pitcher. Right. Like you might be able to do that with somebody. Um, 
but no, I don't think that they're going to just like package a bunch of big leaguers off for somebody else because yeah, that depth is going to be extremely important. Um, but I think, and I didn't write the, the rundown, so I'm happy to, to go a different direction. I'm not sure how useful it is to think about how the team right now stacks up with the rest of the, the team. I think it's probably better to think about like, what are the avenues for improvement since we know, and even in your setup for the question, you said that they're going to look to improve. So I think kind of focusing on that might be a better way for us to, to tackle the question, which will involve thinking about what they already have. Sure. I mean, I guess my thought was, if we look at the rosters as they stand today in the NL Central, are the Brewers the second best team in the division in between the Cardinals and the Cubs and then the Pirates and Reds? I mean, I, that's how I would stack it up right now. I think the, the, the Cubs are the more talented team. Are they? And have, I think so, yeah. I don't know. Who pitches for the Cubs? You mean besides Cole Hamels, John Lester, um, do you think Cole Hendricks, Hamels is going to repeat what he did this season when he got no, to the Cubs? No, but I mean, you, there's. They I like, mean, they, they sunk money into you, Darvish, who's always hurt. I mean, Quintana has shown that. I mean, he beats the Brewers, but everybody else, he's kind of just. I mean, all right. They have two starters. I would take ahead of anybody on the Brewers. Oh well, that's what they do. In terms they go of out, for next year, they go out and sign guys that everybody thinks you know, like, oh, I want those guys. And then that isn't even talking about you, Darvish coming back. So let's see what happens with that but i mean they have more talent in the starting rotation that way um their bullpen depth is underrated somewhat i think they have bullpen pitchers that they can trot out there that's not a thing you don't know what you have in the bullpen until until they start pitching that season except for josh Hader, right and then at some point they're going to disappoint you so anyways uh, i do want to get to greg royce's question because i think that's going to kind of sum all of this up is uh, what's your highest roster priority of this offseason he says he wants pitchers and middle infielders that can hit i'm still focusing on uh, i think catcher is still the best place to be able to to go in i think they need a catcher and i think they need another uh quality bullpen arm um yeah if they can Always, if you have a chance to be able to make a big upgrade in the starting rotation, by all means, do it. But I think that there are so many stars that have to align for that to be able to come to pass that I'm not necessarily sure that's my my highest priority. If it, if it comes around, sure, that's great. If James Paxton is somehow on the market and for some reason the Mariners don't actually want premium pieces for him, then sure, let's get in that conversation. But there are also going to be eight other teams in that conversation. So I don't necessarily think that that's going to be a useful avenue for us unless we're willing to go big. I think right now, I think catcher, and I think that they really need another um, back-end quality bull, bullpen piece because as of right now, until we have a look to see what Jeremy Jeffers looks like in April, I'm worried if the September version of Jeremy Jeffers shows up. Not to say that he's not a big league pitcher then, but he's not the same guy that we were able to rely on so heavily throughout this entire year, and I think that they would need to replace that. Yeah, I mean, I, we've talked about this already on the pod, but my guys in this conversation would be Yasmani Grandal, the number one catcher on the market, and a guy who is actually a much better defender than what he showed in the NLCS by all accounts. And then, well, and the World Series, too. Did so he have you some want, issues? You want to see them just write a check and get Grundahl? That would be, I mean, that would be my ideal. I'm, I'm just saying, skeptical the, it's actually going to happen. A lot of people think like, hey, package some guys together and go make trades. Yeah, I'm the, the TJ Realmuto thing, because I believe he has two years of control. I would not want to give up what it would take to get him because that would almost certainly be Keston Hira. 
Okay, well, what kind of player is there anybody that would be available on the market that it would be worth shipping Kesson Hira off for to add to this roster? That was JP, a question. That was a somebody? question that we Oh yeah. Got. <laughs> we do we do have that. I think. That exact question. Christian Volbrecht, he asked that. Is there somebody that Hero would be worth trading? Uh, in a vacuum, probably. Right. I mean, Real Mudo in a vacuum, absolutely. Uh, in terms of what the Brewers are going to be looking at next year, I think that's a huge question because if you end up trading Keston Hira, um, then you're saying that Jonathan Scope is our second baseman, or we're going to go and have have to upgrade that. Um, I still think Keston Hira is somebody that can lock down second base over the course of five or six years. So Keston Hira is not somebody that I want to necessarily trade all that all that willingly. I still think somebody like Wilson Ramos is probably the best case scenario. Yeah. I mean, if you do, if you did that, if you got real Mudo, you had him for two seasons, you have scope, you know, you're looking at some of these guys, would you be, do you think they'd be creating more of a limited window than they'd want? Because you'd have limited control of those guys for a couple seasons, as opposed to somebody to extend you for six years. I mean, no, I, I don't think it would be creating more of a limited window because I think if you were to move Kesson Hira for somebody like Real Mudo, basically what you're saying is that upgrade this year is already, or for the next two years, is going to make it worth it. And I think if you're talking about a window and you're looking at, you know, if you take 2018 into that consideration, then you say 2019, 2020 are, are already in that window and you've still got Christian Yelich for another season after that. I, I don't think you're shortening the window all that much because you still have a couple of years to be able to go through and, and kind of adjust on the fly. But I do take the point. I just don't. I I think that Keston here is somebody that can come in and and hit enough to be valuable and not have to go through as many growing pains as maybe somebody who's a little bit more raw. Um, I don't. I'm not counting on him to come in and be be an all star by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't. The, the, I guess the piece that's holding me back is I do not think that the Brewers are going to trade Kessinura. So I think it's kind of a moot point. And I, uh, I really hope they don't. No, I'm saying, well, well you don't sure. want to see any prospect traded, especially one who's hey, on a list. I was okay with the Yelich thing. <laughs> they traded their top, like two of their top three prospects for him. And when, I was okay with it. When Harrison got included in that, you had some buyer's remorse immediately. You had no, to be what I What I said was, as it was before Harrison was in that trade, I was excited. I'm like, oh my God, we got him for that little. And then when Harrison went in, I'm like, okay, that is a legit extra piece for them to have gotten. I, I was really surprised they got Yelich for as little as, you know, the other three guys. And then the Harrison piece came last. So it wasn't I, that I had buyer's and, remorse, Steve. It and was then that, you complained. It that, was that I went, and, I was like, oh, okay. We had what looked like an insane steal. And then we had to give up another le very legitimate piece. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that is more to give up. Not that it changed my opinion on the trade overall, Steve. No, in my opinion, this is why you do not rely on eyewitness testimony. Because yeah. I think that what can happen is you can change what has actually happened in the past to suit what you wish would have happened in the past. Because I think you were actually much more concerned about it. And then you were talked down on it. No, I will go get the transcript from our group chat. I hope you do. 
I think that would be really entertaining. And we could read it. We could have Steve do a dramatic reading and uh, and he could read yours in a very low voice because it's very commanding. And then mine in a really high squeaky voice. I'll, I'll read that. And then I'll also add in the uh, commentary in the phone conversation. I think we were having at the same time that the chat was going on because that isn't <laughs> going to be contained in there. And I think that's where like the craziness was going on. He was trying to keep it together in a group chat where there were more people. But to me, he was like... Oh my God, we we gave up so much. How do the Cardinals always get steals, and the Brewers have to give up that so much w- to get that? Guys? Was that was a thing I said? Was oh, it was the definitely. Cardinals always get steals, and the Brewers have to pay market price because you only wanted steals. You I'm, only wanted you wanted yes. to come away from that saying like the Brewers won this trade regardless of what happens. I want to win every trade. Yes. No, so, but what I will say is you were able to be talked down on that extremely quickly. Uh, and I think that the Lorenzo Cain piece backing it up really fast, I think probably helped ease your mind on that because I think you understood that Lorenzo Cain wouldn't have happened without the Yelich deal kind of being able to, to, to come in tandem. But so thanks for Brewer World for breaking that Lorenzo Cain signing. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, but he legitimately broke he that did, story. He did legitimately break that story. But there is also a piece of it that uh, you were all, I think, annoyed with the, the price for uh, Mar- Marcelo Zuna and uh, kind of forget the fact that like Elich is way better than Ozuna. Way, way better. Way yes. better and more years of control. And more years of control at a cheap, very reasonable price. Yes, that's true. Okay, so moving on, Jerry Eldred asks, what is your dream list of acquisitions? And JP, we already had some of that. Um, I'll just, I'll, I'll add uh, Adam Adovino as well. Damn it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say Grandal and Adovino are the two. I mean, you could also, you could go with a, a number of other relievers in that conversation because there are a number of other quality relievers out there. I wouldn't be even a little bit sad to see Zach Britton come in. Something like that. Britain. I think Zach Britton probably goes for a legit closer role, but I, I agree with you in some respect. I know Adovino is really attractive to me because I think if you can have Knable being a pseudo closer, if they don't want to call him an actual closer, but somebody that can come in near the end of the game, and then basically in whoever is going to be in your multiple inning shutdown mode, if you've got quite a few lefties coming in, that's when you can go to Hater. If you've got a bunch of righties coming up, that's where you can go to Adovino for an inning or two, right? And that just gives you a really dynamic a righty-lefty piece that you can play with a lot of um, a lot of matchups who can handle both lefties and righties. But the thing you have to worry about with Adovino is the fact that uh, he's had some injury issues in the past, uh, so that that is something that's going to be there. And I don't think he's going to come cheaply. But if you're looking at, if I think you could get Adovino on a three-year deal and you could get somebody like uh, Ramos on a three-year deal, and it's not overly extravagant. I think that's something that would benefit the Brewers uh, quite a bit. I do think, though, they will probably spend much more of their time looking at the trade market than they will the free agent market. Do you think uh, is is Kratz the odd man out then? Yeah, I don't know. Kratz is going to be managing in like their Arizona League team next year. Let's be honest. I mean, I don't. It's I. I hate to cop out, but I do not know. I Kratz cannot is not a good hitter, uh, but he was able to handle the pitching staff so well. He was able to endear himself to the clubhouse. He was rock solid defensively. He was somebody that they relied on in big games down the stretch. Um, and Manny Pena 
is quality defensively, but showed that he still has a lot of uh, holes in his swing, I guess you would say. But yeah, I, th- I think so. I think Eric Kratz would probably be the odd man out. Then the question, of course, still comes with what do you do with Jacob Nottingham? But uh, yeah, I think that it would probably be Manny Pena as your, your, if not like backup piece, somebody who is not playing as much as, as somebody like Ramos. Jacob Nottingham has options. He'll be the starting catcher in San Antonio next year and it, then will be available to come up as need be. He'll be up by like 2020. He'll be in his 30s by that time, right? Is Jacob, it, isn't that isn't that the timeline now for catchers? Jacob Nottingham is like 23 years old because we is got him when young? he was when he was 20. I guess. Yeah. And he was in double A as a 20 year old as a catcher and like repeated there as a 20 and 21 year old. But like that's part of the deal like you're it's going to take time to develop the defensive chops and he has developed defensively to the point where he is a credible big league catcher now the question is will the bat will that power that looked like it was there when he was younger will that shine through and you know we've seen catchers like look damian miller like when did he turn into a, a good big league hitter for a catcher when he was like 27 i mean catchers develop especially offensively on their own timeline. It took Lucroy. People forget. It took Lucroy. Lucroy was a below average hitter for his first few years in the big leagues before he took off as well and became a good big league hitter. And then it was a very brief window, but he had a brief moment where he both hit and was an above average defensive catcher. Yeah, it was a couple years there. Was it 13, 14 ish? Something like that. But like when, when was Damian Miller a good offensive catcher? Like, 2005 2006 2007 when he came to the brewers or no he came to the brewers in eight he was not a great hitter for the brewers he was all right he kind of had a no year i didn't say a great hitter i said a, a fine hitter for a catcher he had like a year or two in arizona but i mean you know that's split in time and all that kind of stuff so it's always hard to gauge like how good of a hitter are they actually sure versus like did they just get on a little bit of a streak so anyways uh what teams do you see as doing the most this winter who's the biggest competition for talent i mean i think the phillies are the team that's going to do the most this winter i think they're going to be out there spending gobs and gobs of money if you wanted to see that doesn't seem like the market that the brewers are in though i mean no no no. i'm just saying you know bryce harper manny machado guys like that no and like what team in the nl central is going to do the most it's interesting to see what the cubs because they're up against the luxury tax let's see how much they want to actually push past that and start taking on the big penalties and how much they're going to try to play underneath of it because everybody's kind of trying to play underneath of it now yeah i don't know they're going to trade chris bryant apparently oh there was that weird talk yeah where it was like we're open to trading chris bryant like what the hell jp did you take that seriously at all and that was a buster only article i mean it wasn't like you know nick cafardo I was going to say wet butt 22 or whatever it was breaking, <laughs> breaking stories on a Reddit. Uh, but Theo Epstein, but what that was right. Theo Epstein actually talked about it afterwards and said that, yeah, we're willing to talk to anybody, but he says it's almost impossible to envision a deal in which that would make sense for us. So no, I don't think that that was too serious other than the fact that, yeah, if you could go out and get somebody like Syndergaard, then yeah, maybe that makes sense. But, um, I think that you're going to see a lot of teams. I think the Dod- the reason why you've seen so many teams try to get under the luxury cap or the, the, the soft luxury tax line is because it resets your, 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 your tax clock, I guess. Right. Like, because it, the 
more consecutive years you stay over it, the more your penalty is. So, And if you drop under it once, it resets it back to the lowest. And basically, everyone knows, the Dodgers know, the Yankees know, the, well, I think the Cubs maybe were a little bit over it, but there were a lot of teams that actually knew they're planning to go over the luxury tax line and they were doing everything they could to keep under it. So it was able to basically reset it. So their penalty this upcoming year will be the lowest it can possibly be. Well, and there were some teams now making noise already. The Yankees are making noise that they're not going to go over it. Like we like being under the luxury tax, so we're not going to go over it. And like people flipped socialist baseball, Twitter got nuts about that one. But like, why would they? Of course, they would say that. It's not like they're going to be like, "Oh, we're willing to spend however much money you want." And then Scott Boris goes, "I bet you are." <laughs> like, like uh, why would you trust anything that they're saying about that? You mean GMs shade the truth or tell outright lies tactically? I mean, they also do have a three hundred fifty million dollar contract in Giancarlo Stanton on their team, right? Like, the the Yankees are spending money regardless of what they do. Yo, but they need to spend more. Spend more. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, there was talk that Bryce Harper was going to be a first baseman. Oh, yeah, that was Yankees. Yeah, like he could go play another position somewhere. Yeah, that was all very silly. Though I I will, I will, it might not be the worst thing in the world for him to not play a position in which he kamikazes into the wall like seven times a year and gets hurt. Like, if you're going to pay him half a billion dollars, maybe you pay him a half a billion dollars to not get hurt too. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to pay him half a billion dollars, like basically put him in a bubble. That was the old Bill James line about uh, about Paul Molitor was maybe he needed bubble wrap. Well, maybe that he would be better off not crashing into those walls because he was so unavailable to the Brewers so often. How many walls was Molitor crashing into? He was always taking himself out of games because he was Mr. Russell and he would crash into walls. And well, he had some other issues going on, too. But yeah, well, sure. But he yeah. And and that was the Bill James specifically about Molitor was like making the point that like people and then he left and then he left Milwaukee and he was primarily DH from that point on. He was a DH for the last seven, eight years. He was in Milwaukee, too. Not primarily five, six. He started DHing primarily, I think, in like 87, if I remember right. He's only here through 92. So that would be six seasons. Five? <laughs> if it was that. 87 through 92. No, no, no. I, I get seasons. it. Otherwise, somewhere, he's playing third base. It was somewhere around there because during that hitting streak, I think he was DHing a lot. So. Okay. Anyway. I'm pretty sure he was still primarily a third baseman at that point. But, um, I mean... Well, we, we kind of brought this up before, JP, but uh, do you think either Harper or Machado is going to fall early and get this market going? I I do, but... And by I, early, I mean like, I don't know, it'll be a Christmas present for whatever team signs them? Yeah, I'd be surprised if it actually lasts past the uh, winter meetings. I was going to say, what is early? Winter meetings is kind of the dividing line of like, that's when early in the offseason ends and like you've fully moved into the heat of the offseason at the winter meetings i always think once you hit the holidays you hit that christmas through new year's point where you you're kind of not expecting a ton of stuff to happen at that point but it used then to all be sudden anything hit, that would happen after new year's was considered really late yes and i still consider that late but that's kind of like when you're getting into the later part of the offseason as opposed to the i don't but I, I think part of what sets that is i remember the granky deal happening what was that right before christmas it was during the whitewater national championship game which is like December 11th, it's, 12th, somewhere in there. It was right after the winter meetings, I believe. It was like the week after the winter meetings. Yeah. 
I don't know, JP, you're the one who ruined Doug Melvin's uh, Christmas up in Ontario or wherever he was. It was uh, two days before the Green Bay Packers played the uh, New England Patriots, and uh, they were waiting to announce it after that game. Nobody knows dates. We only mark everything by whatever team was playing at a time. Oh, God, that was when that was. Because that was, (laughs) yeah, because that was when the Packers went and lost that game. And then, but they lost it close. And that was with a backup quarterback because Rodgers had been concussed in Detroit. And then they, and then they won every game from then on and won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Sure. Great. That was so many years ago. I have memories too. I guess. That was so many years ago. I don't remember anymore. So that was, anyway, sometime we'll have to do like a, a live, hold on. Sometime we'll have to do like an oral history of that and just like look through our messages between the three of us. When that was going on, because that was does it wild. exist anymore? I have no idea, but that was wild. I feel like that was, that was lost a, with the sports bubbler. That was a wild. Well, no, our personal text messages and whatever. Yeah, we should, we should probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, moving on. Uh, Darren Jones, uh, one of our Patreon supporters, he asks uh, reports this week indicate that the Mariners are planning to trade left-handed starter James Paxton this offseason. Is the idea of trading two seasons of Paxton? at arbitration salaries more appealing than signing a starting pitcher from the current free agent market. Ryan, you want to take that first? You want JP to answer? I mean, my issue with Paxton is he's been hurt. You're looking at a guy who at most has thrown eh, in the last three years, he's thrown just over 400 innings. He's thrown, it was like 136, 100 in the teens somewhere. And then like 106. I mean, he isn't, he isn't really out there as much as you would think. And He's not young. This isn't a guy who's like, well, maybe he's getting some stuff out of the way when he's like 24, 25. He's going to be 30 next year. So you're not talking about a young pitcher. He's had a significant amount of injuries. I just wouldn't trust him. I think he would be good. He would be a good productive player when he's on the field. But I also wouldn't expect him to make 30 starts. You know, I would be happy if he made 25 starts. And that's, you know, with expecting more like 20 so that's just not a player for two years that I would be interested to give up because I think you're talking about Hero there. I think you're talking about maybe Hero or Well, Burns. And that's what I was going to ask JP. If you're getting 20 starts a season from a guy and you think they can be elite, is it worth parting with uh, Kesson Hero or Corbin Burns? No, because if you are dealing with, if you're suggesting that there's only going to be 20. 20 starts what you're saying is there's a chance for a big injury not just like small injuries that are going to keep him out for a couple of innings or for for a couple of starts i think you're dealing with potential shoulder issues you're dealing with potential elbow issues and that's not something that i'm really comfortable giving up a premium piece if i know that that's baked into the package more so than any other pitcher i get the point that all pitchers have the tendency to get hurt like i i get that part but the one part that I would also suggest just to kind of play devil's advocate are the Brewers, the type of organization that maybe won't rely on him for so many innings and can actually manage him in a way that his injury issue is maybe a less pertinent than it would be for other teams. I'm not saying I buy that, but I'm saying like, is there an argument to be made that council or that the the organization could figure out a way for his usage pattern to be a little bit less. Like maybe he only goes five innings. Uh, maybe they built in a couple of uh, skipped starts 
early in the year where they're they're willing to use their depth to kind of just give him some time off and then they're going to rely on him really heavily through maybe july through september um i don't know there's a lot of different things you could do i think with the way that the brewers are able to be flexible with their starting rotation but if that's the case how much are you willing to then give up for that when you have to if you know going in that you're going to have to manage him in a a special way you're going to have to be careful with him it lowers the amount that you're willing to give up for him right well, yeah, that's why I said I didn't believe it, but I said I I think there's an argument to be made. Sure. You want to do the next question? That you just want came me to in? just do that? The, sure. The current question that just came in. So uh, Jay Google asks, which player on the 40-man do you think uh, may get traded this offseason? Does Stearns maybe move on Jesus after a strong year? And this is not the first time I've heard this particular question. Sure, we've talked about it a bunch because I've – like during the season I advocated for you know if they can cash in on Jesus but I think as we've talked about in the past teams don't just look at what a a player has currently done when making these evaluations so it's hard to say like what they would even get for Jesus Aguilar don't you think JP yeah I'm trying to think about who I think would be the most likely to be moved I think Aguilar just because he is a first baseman. He's a right-handed first baseman. He's a little bit limited in terms of the market in which somebody would want to spend a lot of money on that. Could you get a stud reliever for him who has a little bit of control? If a team really needed that first base piece. Maybe. I mean, you're still also talking about the fact that, I mean, Tyler Thornburg, who's not, uh, I don't think, even though he was a quality reliever, I don't think anybody would say he's the stud reliever you're talking about. And that, that cost Travis Shaw plus pieces. Yeah, Mauricio Dubon. I mean, it was significant. So I think if you're looking, yeah. So they also got Josh. Pa- they also got uh, Josh Pennington, and they also got uh, Jensen Coca. Oh yeah, yes. Fourth one. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of pieces coming back in that. I think if if you're looking at the kind of talent that's been going for elite relievers, I don't think you could go with somebody like Jesus Aguilar because. No matter no matter what you say about his first half, and yeah, I still think he's a quality hitter. I'm, I'm not saying that I think he's he's going to fall off an absolute cliff. He was not that great in the second half. I mean, again, his worst month, he had a 770 OPS. That's right, not great that, for a first baseman. But that's his worst month. Which he, is weird because his, because his second half was uh, below that. Right, that's driven by he got off to a horrible start the last week and a half of July. Well, it's also how do you want to cut up the season to be able to come up with your stats? I'm just saying, looking at it month by month, his lowest month was like 770. Right. So, I mean, it was, but making but making the argument of looking at smaller segments rather than a larger segment's weird. Sure, but I mean, you, the reason the second half is bad is entirely because we drop the line at that point instead of including the you know the real second half like we're drawing it at the all-star break which is an regardless an of what you point. want to hold on regardless of what you want to say about Aguilar he was not the power hitter in the second half that no, he was in the first half. he wasn't the power hitter he was but he still hit for power he hit double digit home runs in the second half so I mean well right but he was fine right like we tried to we tried to talk so much about Domingo Santana last winter about how much he could potentially bring because of all of these things and we pointed to well i i annoyed people by pointing 
to specific things about Domingo Santana that I was like, I have huge question marks about him going forward. And the Brewers did try to discuss Domingo Santana with other teams. They weren't able to get the value they wanted. And he spent the vast majority of the year in AAA. Teams aren't going to just say, oh, yeah, you know, he's somebody that we could dream on a little bit. All of the caveats that we know about Jesus Aguilar. And not to say that he's bad. This is not making that argument. It What it is, is making an argument about is there a team that's going to give up a big piece for a league average first baseman? Yeah, Santana's probably a good example of why we shouldn't expect a big return for Aguilar. Because Santana has more pedigree than yeah, what Aguilar's had. Aguilar's a better hitter than Santana. But the, is, but the thing is, Jesus Aguilar, saying he's a league average first baseman means he's he's fine. He's good. Like he's somebody that you could put in the starting lineup. I'm saying, is there somebody that's going to want to give you the type of piece that you are willing to give up Aguilar? Like, is somebody going to give you an Edwin Diaz? No. Again, it's a tough profile. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I would, you know, it's hard to just pick a player and say, that's the guy who's going to be traded. We don't know what other teams are looking at or, you know, what the you want to do another question. I figured you want to get out of here. No, we're good. We need to do we need to do this one because he's asked it two weeks in a row. Okay. And Jason's like a let long me, time. We gotta let, we gotta get this question. I was gonna say, let me let me take a stab at who I might who I think might get traded if there is somebody who's traded. I would say that there is a, a better chance that you would see somebody in the starting rotation uh move somebody like a Zach Davies. And again, I don't think that you would be looking at a big piece coming back. But I think if you're looking at some of the guys that are on the outside looking into the starting rotation, that might be a, a place that you see somebody moved. That hurts me a little bit because I think Davies can be pretty effective. So, I think Davies can I, be good, too. We picked him to be the best, to have the lowest ERA of the starting pitchers, and that was a really stupid pick. But I still think he's, I still think he's a good pitcher. Yeah. So I, they'd be giving up a pretty quality piece if somebody does want to acquire Zach Davies in the offseason. So, okay, you wanted to get to this. Jason Donlinger asks on Patreon, uh, more likely to make 30 starts in 2019, Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff? And sub-question, over under 25 starts for Jimmy Nelson in 2019. Ryan, you want to take the first part of that first? Yeah, I'll, I'm going to say that it's Burns just because I think he is – I take JP's point from a couple weeks ago about the fact that Burns potentially is more suited for elite relief than Woodruff is. So I, I would take that point. But I think Burns is the better pitcher, and I think that they, they're looking to do this. And I know they backed off of saying, because remember they were always saying during the season, Corbin Burns is going to start next year. And then after the season in the postseason press conference, they kind of backed away from that statement a little bit. So I know that there could potentially be some change here, but I still have to think that Corbin Burns, with as good as he is, is going to make more starts. No, no. Okay, hold on. More likely to make 30 starts. Basically, he's asking, who's more likely to be in the rotation to start the season? JP, do you think it's Burns or Woodruff? I, I mean, I think that answer is yes. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think, both, I think both are going to make the starts. The rotation as as it currently stands unless they make a move that we're not really foreseeing i think both make the the starting rotation to start out i think if you're looking at somebody more likely to make 30 starts over the course of the year i'm going to say it's woodruff just because he's already shown that he can throw three pitches he's already been the guy that they're willing to go to for multiple innings in the postseason uh and i think that there is a decent chance that burns stays in the in the bullpen unless they're able if they 
if they can get somebody who's dynamic in the bullpen to allow them to move him over, then maybe. But I think Burns right now, if you're looking at what they have in the bullpen, I think if you, they need four really, really high-end pitchers if they want to be able to run the bullpen and they want to do the way that they want to. And I think that they need to be able to have four guys that can go multiple innings. And right now, that is Hayter, that's Burns, that's um, that's Jeffress, and that's Knable. Those are the four guys that you can build it around. If you lose Burns, then you're saying that there are three guys that you can go around. There's Hayter that's going to need regular off days. And then who's your fourth guy that you're going to really build around? Jacob Barnes? I don't necessarily know what that so they might see their hand forced a little bit to be able to say we need to make sure that our bullpen is is still the core piece of our team so we can be as flexible with it as we want. And I think Woodruff would be the guy over Burns right now that they would put in the starting rotation. Okay, so a second part of that over under 25 starts for Jimmy Nelson in 2019. Man, I've been burned by this before, but I I keep wanting to believe. So I'm going to say over which is really pushing it because there's just not that many starts to go around. There's only 162 of them. So that's hard, but I'm going to say over because I continue to be a sucker for Jimmy Nelson. Okay. JP over under 25 for Nelson under uh, and not because I think he's, he is going to be poor. I just, I, I, I looked back and this was in last week's pod and I was talking about uh, Shasin and how many innings he was able to go and how many starts the Brewers have had very very few pitchers that have gone over 30 30 starts much less 25 I mean it's generally their best pitchers their best starters are going 27 28 starts and so that's just giving him a couple of I wouldn't be surprised even if early in the year they baby him a little bit yeah I want to see him on the mound before I believe he's going to make like a significant number of starts you know, and he he That's hasn't really fair. gotten to that point. It's it's irrational. I'm being irrational. I don't think it's I don't think it's irrational, but it's it's I think it's really putting a lot of I think it's it's going with best case scenario and you're saying that that's something that you think could happen. I don't I don't think it's irrational to say that there's a case to say he, he goes thirty starts or even twenty five starts. So Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. Everybody uh, look out for a blue Aveo, probably speeding Aveo. No. You're not driving no, that one today? I've got the Hyundai. I never drive the Aveo anymore. Oh. We're selling the Aveo. The the wife the blueberry. Gave, the wife gave you her car for the uh Well, she doesn't use day. it anymore because she lives two blocks from work. So, you know. Okay. Well, then not I exactly. will say if you do find a blue Aveo and you're looking for a car. There you go. So look for the blue <laughs> just go ahead and steal it. <laughs> so look for the blue Elantra. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. just declare it. <laughs> Milwaukee's Doc Tailgate at gmail.com with car inquiries if you're looking for her blue Aveo. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, Ryan's got to hustle his ass up to Green Bay. So, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level receive the minor league extra podcast. And that's, I don't know, sometime soon. Yeah, soon-ish. we'll look at soonish. Okay. I think we have some AFL stuff to finally talk about so that'll be coming um as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate you can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our facebook page for milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast do that soon because we'll probably take the week off after uh thanksgiving so uh, just so everybody knows i think we got one and then we're gonna take some time off and then we'll be back in december before all that holiday stuff happens again so 
Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and we're on Spotify. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.